Thank you all so much for joining me. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you just please allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us apply everything that we need to apply so that we can fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. God, we just ask that you continue to keep our hearts and minds soft and for you. Allow us to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let us follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. And just let us be able to be obedient to you in a way where we just remember all of the good things that you do, God. Remind us of how you are there. Remind us of your purpose and plan in every situation, God. Remind us. Be a constant reminder for people that are filled with hopelessness and despair. God, provide them the hope that they need in order to sustain in this world. And so we thank you so much. We give you glory, praise, and honor. Thank you so much, God. And, and I ask that you just please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Allow your Holy Spirit to um, lead me in this discussion. So thank you so much, Holy Spirit. I just pray that you will take residence inside of us, all um, permanent residence in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, most importantly, God, I just pray that you please allow your will to be done in our life. Not anyone else's, but your will, your plan, your purpose to be fulfilled. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Let's talk about it. So I was, I had a little bit of um some issues going on here posting the um, web link and stuff so i had the wrong link posted and i had to go back in and revise it i didn't notice it at first and then i caught it um so thank you all so much for joining me today okay so i'm going to continue on in this discussion from yesterday um where i talked about it's it's really about the what it's about the what not the who so Basically, the purpose of this um, discussion is for us to be able to understand the real meaning of what God has planned. And so God wants all of us to succeed and he, he wants us all to do well. Right. And it's like for me, I think that, you know, having a combination of um, prayer and also the word of God, it gives us so much peace. And sometimes when you're thinking about reading the word, it's like, okay, wait, wait. Now, how is the word of God? Because I've heard some people say, well, when you read the Bible, you know, you get tired. Well, no, no, no. Just think about it for a minute. There is something spiritually happening to you when you're communicating with God. When you are listening to his word, like just say, for instance, if you're listening to it on the audio app or if you're reading it aloud. So yesterday I had talked about how the how your brain handles stress and how stress impacts your brain. The stress response, your body response and how all of these things are really impacting your body. And so, so that I can give credit to where credit is due, I um 
I was reviewing the article from Psych Central. It was um, by um, a Suzanne Lee. Um, so Dr. Suzanne Lee basically um, wrote this. She wrote this um, article. She's a, a neurophysiologist. Um, and so she talks about, she works on the brain. She specializes in the brain. And so this article, that's where it came from. So the article basically, so I could just give a recap of what the yes, yesterday's discussion. Basically, your brain has different type of signals when you're experiencing stress. So your amygdala is your stress response. That's when something, that's when you're going through an experience. You have an immediate response to that. And your experience either is fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, you're gonna you're gonna combat it out. You might argue with people, or you know, you might try to state your position and reiterate your stance on certain things. That's fighting it out. Sometimes fighting it out isn't always gonna be a physical altercation it could it could be a verbal one it could just possibly you know be you just trying to you know support your beliefs right so you're fighting it you're fighting this out you're you're flighting me you just giving up freezing you know or fawning upon people so all of all of these different responses is from your amygdala in your brain and so, although this is proven scientifically, you have to understand that everything that we go through in life is spirit. So, for instance, the air that you breathe, you have oxygen. We have gravity. We have the breath of life. So, all of these things are invisible. So, if your, your very existence your very existence depends on the invisible quality. So why are you depending on anything that's in the physical realm? So when we think about our body, even though it's scientifically proven by medical doctors, right? That doesn't mean that it's not coming from a spiritual place. Because all of this information that impacts your brain, I, I really wanted to discuss the impact of your brain when you're communicating with God. That was the purpose of me bringing this up yesterday, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it. So yesterday when I was communicating with God and I said that I had started crying and when I was talking to God about, you know, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, I began to have a conversation with the Lord also about the impact of our brain when we are communicating with God. So let me let me kind of briefly go back over this about how your brain handles stress from the scientific method. And then I'm going to tell you how your brain, what happens to your mind and your brain when you're communicating with God more frequently, okay?
So here we go. You have your amygdala is your stress response. Remember, your amygdala is your reaction. You're either going to have a long-term reaction, you're going to have a short-term reaction, which is going to encompass flight, fight, freeze, or fawn. So you might, you know, feel a certain way, but remember that your amygdala is your stress response. So just imagine, okay, so that's, just say that this is you going through a divorce. So the situation is divorce. That's a stress response. You're going to have a reaction from the divorce. So your amygdala is communicating in your mind. How are you about to handle the signing over of your divorce? How are you about to handle the situation? Are you going to fight? Are you going to flight? Are you going to freeze? So divorce is going to cause you to have a reaction. So now you are going to have this reaction, but now your amygdala is about to do something else in your brain. So your amygdala is the stress response, but now it's about to contact. It's about to call your hypothalamus. Now your hypothalamus is what's going to basically like um it's going to communicate to the rest of your body. It's gonna send a it's gonna alert your entire body. It's sending a signal to your entire body that you are stressed. So the hypothalamus is just like you. So the amygdala is your response, your stress response. But when you call everybody, you just say you call your mom or your sister or your brother or whoever you call. You call one person. That's like your amygdala calling the hypothalamus and saying, look, hey, hey, alert, alert. You just went through a stressful situation. So your hypothalamus is talking to the rest of your body. It's going to talk to your heart rate. It's your mind. You know, you're going to be thinking about this divorce. You, you might drink. You know, it just really depends on your reaction. So what is your reaction? So you may pray. You may get upset. You may get angry. You may just not talk to anybody. You may shut down. There are so many different responses that will really come from your amygdala. But really, let's talk. Let's reverse back to the amygdala. The amygdala is the stress response, your reaction. But what is causing your reaction? Your belief system. Your belief system is triggered by your amygdala so now we're gonna say okay now your belief is the stress response that you're gonna have but instead of saying stress response we're gonna call it amygdala your amygdala is 
your belief system? How are you about to react to your spouse cheating on you with your friend? How are you going to react to your job terminating your position when you just bought a new house? Your amygdala is your belief system. That's just the science behind your belief. But when you talk about God on a spiritual perspective, your amygdala is really, it can be controlled and, and influenced by God. But that's only if you give God the authorization to say, look, I don't want these beliefs. I don't want to have this negative response. I don't want to get upset. I don't want to stress out. I don't want this. So your amygdala is your, is your belief system. If you're really looking at it from a, you know, like a normal perspective, not a scientific method perspective. So I'm just trying to integrate the two so you can understand what is happening to your body. And also what is happening to your brain. So we also have, when you're amygdala, your, your belief system now is, is, is going to impact your lifestyle. You can say your lifestyle is your hypothalamus. Because the amygdala going to call your hypothalamus just like you're going to call one of your relatives. You're about to position yourself into an experience because of a divorce. So you call one relative, right? Because that's your, that's your response to, to, to call your relative. So your hypothalamus is alerting the rest of your body. And that's just like your family member now about to call everybody you know and tell them what's going on. That's like your hypothalamus. Alert to everybody. You want, you want everybody to know that you was hurt. So you're going to post everything on social media. You hurt my feelings. My feelings is hurt. Oh, you lied on me. I'm telling everybody. He cheated on me. She cheated on me. Right? So that's what people do. They go out and alert everybody else about all of their problems and all of their business. They even blurt it outside. Everybody in the whole world knows their business. Because they want everybody to know. Because Why? It's because of an alertness in the mind. Like, it's, it's, it isn't... Like they care about anybody else. They only really focusing on the, the stress hormone. The stress response that is generating. So the physical aspect is the cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So how are they going to respond? They're going to put everybody in their business or they, are they going to pray about it? See, we could, we could depend on other people in the world 
Or are you going to pray about what you need to do? So the cortisol is the stress hormone. Okay. So when we think about, when we think about, um, when we think about our choices and decisions, you have to understand that your brain, the prefrontal cortex is right in the top of your brain, right in the front. And the more stress and trauma you receive in your life, the smaller and smaller your prefrontal cortex becomes. So your amygdala, it can actually be strengthened if you're if you ha are having a healthy lifestyle or a healthy, you know, like uh health mental health but long-term stress it can cause an impact to your hippocampus that's your emotional response so some people become emotionally numb many people come emotionally numb from adverse childhood experience it's called aces adverse childhood experience childhood trauma some people, when they go through traumas and stuff, they never really actually deal with the trauma. They have uh, rumination. They have self-criticism, frequent worry. They also have this feelings of loneliness, a lack of self-control, you know, painful memories, the inability to adapt. So all of these things are coming from the prefrontal cortex. That is impacting the hippocampus and the amygdala. So you think about your brain processes. So if we allow stress to cause us with that type of worry, because people, they worry and they have depression, but 90% of all the things that you worry about will never, ever happen, ever they did a study on um in psychology and it showed let me let me talk about this study i think i talked i talked about this already so uh so 90% of the things that you worry about will never ever happen i i sometimes i write so much on social media right and I do not be talking about it on my podcast. Sometimes I, I bring certain things up and sometimes I don't. But this article I did talk about already. So this is the article by Dr. Uh, Seth Gilhan. And basically it says 91% of the things you worry about are false alarms. They will never happen. This is a fact. So stress itself, it's like, okay, why not position yourself to trust God? If you keep making all of these same choices and decisions, that why are you making these choices? And, and so, like, we need to go back to this. Let's go back and revert. It's about the what, not the who why see i always find myself questioning things it's not just because it's about well yeah it's about what's right 
It's not about it's not about who's right. It's about what's right. And so what I know is, see, I don't want to get advice from people that are already depressed, right? Or I don't want to get advice from people who are already stressed out. Or from people who have, you know, PTSD or anxiety disorders. I'm not saying that these things are stopping a person completely but what I am suggesting is that mental health conditions should be addressed as soon as they are identified. Because they really do prevent a person from living the best life that they can be. So if, for instance, if I see my friend going through a depression one of my friends really did go through something and and it was very bad and this person this person um really went through a lot and um they they were under a depression and was very mean verbally to a lot of people and so what I've noticed was it's like, okay, I like this person isn't even acting the same way anymore. But the thing about it is I love this person as a friend. And so when you think about the, the stress that some people are under, we don't have control over any mental health condition that someone else has. So as a supporter, as someone who loves a person that is, you know, suffering from depression, how can I help this person? Because if you are not a medical doctor, so like I'm I'm going I'm about to be, get my PhD. So I will be an educator. I will be able to advocate for people that are voiceless. I am a doctor. A PhD is the highest degree in the world. And so when you think about this, it's it's like okay, like I do want to help you, but how can I help my depressed friend now? And so what I've learned is it's, it's about appealing to their needs. And the, and the way that we do that is we need to make sure that we're meditating on God's word in our communication with them. That's what we're, we're emphasizing the importance of Christ. It's like, you know, what is missing here? And it's, you know, like, I, I would love to talk to this person every single day, but it's not something that will be uh, uh, appropriate. Because if many times when a person is depressed, they have to want to get out of this situation. They, they literally have to say, look, I want help. 
when someone is suffering from an anxiety disorder or uh, PTSD, they have to be willing to get the necessary mental health that they need. It's just like if you are, if, if I'm ministering to someone who work, who's a Satanist and they worship Satan. And I'm just like, you know, God loves you. But they are still worshiping their Satan. Do you think they they God is saying, you know, and just push yourself on them? You know, like we cannot force people to do anything involuntarily. And so your mind, it when when someone is suffering from mental health, as a child of God, I am going to communicate with you. I am not going to ignore your calls. I will answer the phone. I will talk to you. I am going to pray with you. And if you don't want to pray, I will pray for you. But we, we as a people, what has changed is as the population has increased, so has the level of uncertainty increased. So has the level of um, negative experience increased. So the more and more we innovate, the more and more life changes for everybody. And as life change, people change. Times change. As we can see here, we're emerging into a new generation of people. Innovators. We're in a technological age. So it's no longer the 1950s and 60s and 70s where you have these baby boomers who were like born in that time in the, in the 40s and 50s. This is an emerging technological age. So, so the, the communication efforts are different. Problems are different. So that means that right now, the level of mental health conditions in this world is at an all-time high like it's never been before. So there is some research here I like to talk about for a second, and then I'm going to get into the, to the word of God. So according to this article, it's published by the National Library of Science of Medicine. Okay. Um, it's the impact of stress and major depressive disorder on hippocampal and medial prefrontal cortex morphology more morph I'm sorry, morphology. 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 I'm sorry, I was saying it wrong. Okay. 
So the impact of stress and major depressive disorder on hippocampal and medial prefrontal cortex morphology. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So we basically are, we're analyzing the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, axis dysfunction. Basically, this is, is caused by inflammation of your oxidative stress levels. So the neurotransmitters in the brain basically causes the serotonin and other different chemicals to happen in the brain when you're stressed out. And so what this, this study did was they found that the major depressive disorder um, has impacted about 60% of individuals. And these individuals carry about a 20% risk of falling into like a therapeutic approach. So out of 60% of people who suffer from major depressive disorder, only about 10 to 20% of them are getting the help that they need. That's what that means. So it's impacting their prefrontal cortex. If they have major depressive disorder, it impacts their brain significantly. That's what that study shows. There is another study. This one is um about anxiety disorders. And so this one talks about the um the uh this is from an article published by Nature Communications and it's by authors uh Weezu uh et al. So it's multiple authors on here. And it talks about how the prefrontal cortex has been dis dysregulated by the amygdala. So basically your the brain is because remember the, amyg uh, the amygdala sends a signal to your hypothalamus. Your hypothalamus is now communicating with your prefrontal cortex and your cortisol in your body. So basically, you have all of this stress going on. Similar to when you stress, that's your amygdala, your reaction to it. You call your, your auntie, you call your cousin. That's your hypothalamus notifying a person. Your hypothalamus notifies your whole entire body that you are experiencing stress. Your family member going to call everybody else and they all going to know. So now guess what? Your Everybody responds is all so out of whack because of your divorce. That's the same way your prefrontal cortex is working. It's out of balance. It's dysregulated. That's what this article is saying. It's saying that because of induced or chronic induced stress, anxiety, it has significantly impacted the prefrontal cortex. That's what it's saying. And, and you can look at the prefrontal cortex is the person's response to your, like your whole family's response to you getting a divorce. Or your whole family response to you losing your job and you just bought a house. It's like your prefrontal cortex. How, you can't calculate all of them different responses. What's your cousin response going to be? What's your uncle response going to be? What's your mama response going to be? What's your sister response going to be? So you got all of these different responses. And that's the same way your prefrontal cortex works.
But instead of it making a, a, a decision, for instance, your hippocampus is your emotional response. Instead of your prefrontal cortex influencing other parts of your body to respond in a normal way. Now your brain is going to shrink. It's shrinking. You can't even make wise decisions because of the induced level of stress, depression, and anxiety that you're experiencing. So trauma is really impacting your brain. And it uh severe moderate to severe trauma, oh, that is really, really, you really need some help. And so all of this is important to know because why do we need to know these things? Because what it's saying is when you worry, you don't trust God. And so when we look at the scripture, you look at Hosea 4 and, uh, Hosea 4 and 6. Hosea 4 and 6, my people die. It's, it says, my children of, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. So your prefrontal cortex is where you're making your decisions. So we need to connect our choices to how our brain is impacted and what the Bible is saying. So now it's time to transition. Okay. Um. So Hosea 4 and 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So what God is saying here. Is because see. You rejected knowledge. That means you rejected me. And so God is saying, look, so you're, you're, let's talk about the brain again. See, your brain is shrinking when you're making what? When you're not trusting God. Your brain shrinks. Your decisions become um, unwise. See, you may think that they are wise, but they become unwise and foolish. So the rejection of knowledge, that's when you reject God. It's your brain is shrinking now because now you're you're about to have some problems. But what you don't like, what, what many people don't understand is that they could be wealthy and rich. And when they're rejecting the knowledge of God, they're making decisions that's not only rejecting, that's not only impacting their minds, but they're impacting the lives of all of the people around them. And guess what that does? Now they're accountable for all of the people that they're impacting. See, see, that's another scripture. That's found in Ezekiel. I believe that's in Ezekiel. Where God talks about you being responsible for the, the sins of other people. And see, it's about accountability, right? So look, 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 let's take out, let me go back a little bit. So when people reject knowledge, the knowledge of God, their brain shrinks 
Because now your worry is a sin. Because you worried about this situation for so long, you're sinning. So now what I'm figuring out is God is showing me in a situation that I'm going through at school. Like I know that this is incorrect information that I'm being that I that I that has been given to me. So, but God is telling me, like, look, just listen. And he's 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 reflecting me. And he's, he's telling me like, look, look, it does not matter about what you may think is correct. See, the problem is, is that your thinking is interfering with your brain, your beliefs. So this is why your brain is shrinking. Your decisions are showing just how much. The brain is being impacted. And we can see what's happening around the world. We are depending on AI technology that is actually damaging our security and safety. This is coming from a world of people who are proclaiming to be intelligent. You literally have videos that you that are not real, that are being created. I was playing around today on the TikTok because I'm trying to figure out how to work the TikTok. Because I only had two videos posting on the TikTok. So we were talking about in school on Saturday how I guess some people or some kids had told another student that TikTok, that Facebook is for old people. So I'm just trying to figure out. See, I use Facebook. <laughs> I definitely don't feel old. And I definitely don't look old. Because if, if I, 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 I feel like I'm super young, okay? I look younger than young people. So I know that I feel young and I look young. So it's like, how are you going to say we old because we using Facebook? But <laughs> that, that was just funny to me. I was like, what? Like, I was thinking about that today. So, but anyway, I go on the TikTok and I'm like, okay, this is, it seemed like it's kind of, oh, it, it, it's just a lot of stuff to do on there. So I need to figure out and learn how to work it. And so I clicked on the AI. And so AI created a picture of me today. With a wig on. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. It's no way I will be putting on no wig. But I, I look cute, though. But don't have me putting on no wig. I don't. I wouldn't put that in my hair. So that's the point. The point of the matter is, is that, you know, there are some forms of technology that are beneficial when they improve existing processes. So I support technology that can improve existing processes. The transition into AI 
hasn't been fully approved by all the people. It's just like there are so many things now. You have the artificial womb in in China where they have over 300,000 babies in a in a computer like a a what do you call it? A robot machine, a, a robot robotic uh womb. You have artificial babies. So like, okay, so now when is it a time for you to understand that times are changing? So we have to understand that the stress that people have is caused by your decisions. Your decisions is messing with your brain processes it messes and damages your amygdala your hippocampus your hypothalamus it impacts your brain so don't be stressed out why are you stressed don't be stressed but when you are stressed guess what you reject the knowledge of god and so when you reject the knowledge of god by worrying by sitting here and making decisions that are not being guided by the spirit of God, then you are going to be destroyed. This is the biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is right here. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, because they rejected knowledge. So your brain is shrinking. This was, this been written. So, so God is saying too, guess what? Guess what happened when your brain shrinks? What happens to the way you raise your children? How are you able to make if you are unable to make wise decisions, what happens to how you raise your children? So let's finish reading the, the verse. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee. So God is saying, since you rejected the knowledge that I tried to give you, now I'm about to reject you. So God is not going to sit up here and keep chasing you. He is now going to let your choices lead you to where you need to be. And it's too bad this, this, what I'm talking about, it, it's too bad that it's, it, I don't butter things up. Nothing in my life was buttered up to me. I, I was raised by brutally honest people. My father was, my dad was brutally honest. So when I speak about things, I don't get offended. Like if you per se, like, you know, it, I have conversations. That's what it is. You, you can have, you know, mature debates. So a debate is a disagreement. If you have, if you, if you are dissident or you have dissent or disagree with what I'm saying, that's fine. I'm not offended. 
I'm not attached to a conversation because I have conversations on at mature levels. So it's important to understand that when you are allowing God to give you information and to feed you information, your decisions are not going to be re rejected by God. But it's like when we're out here living this life, things will happen when you're not making sure that God is being in the equation, in your decisions, in your choices. And your brain shrinks. So God rejects them, right? And then they say that thou shall be no priest to me. Priest. Let this word priest is what? So let's let's look this up. I want to look it up specifically to show what it says in the Strong's Concordance. So we're looking at the word priest, and um, we are looking at Hosea, which is in the Old Testament. That means that this is going to be written in Greek. So the word priest in Greek, I'm sorry, in uh in Hebrew is no wait, let me make sure. Hold on one second. Because it says, okay, I had it right. So it's going to be he, the uh, Hebrew uh, Strong's number 3548. It's pronounced Kohan. And the priest, meaning a chief minister, right? Um, uh, so. That's that's what it means. A, uh, a priest is a chief. You are a chief minister. And so some people are saying, okay, well, I, I never thought I would be a priest. You God wants all of his children according. He wants let's let me read this scripture too. God wants us all to go out and make disciples. Okay. And this is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's Go out and make disciples of all nations. That means God wants every one of us to minister his word. Every single one of his children. Nobody is exempt from this. It didn't say, I want some of you. Or no, no. I just want 12 people to make disciples of all nations. No, it don't say, I want 500 people to make disciples of all nations. That's not what it say. So the way that we understand the word of God is through, we look at the word of God through eisegesis, not eisegesis, exegesis. Exegesis is the study of the word of God to read it exactly as the way it says and interpret it that way. So we're not going to say, well, you know, it's only some people who God selected to go out and make disciples. Because you have some people in this world that will say something like that. So they form their opinion of the word of God. They, they, they form their beliefs on the word of God that's based upon their opinion and what they think it is. But see, we're looking in the Old Testament here in Hosea 4 and 6. Where it says that thou shalt be no priest to me. And then you go to Matthew 28, 19. God said, go and therefore make disciples. So this is God saying, look. He, did, did he's saying it right here. 
when you reject knowledge, you can't even be a priest. He don't even want you not even going to be able to minister his word to people. That's what this scripture is saying in, in Hosea 4 and 6, that thou shalt be no priest to me. So this is another scripture where it talks about needing milk. The other one, that's in the New Testament, in Greek, where it says how some people, they still need baby milk. They still offer baby milk. They still need the elementary education of understanding the word of God. When we should be teaching it, they, they still need the milk and the basic principles. They, so, they know so much about God that they don't know nothing about God. Because they blame him for everything. So they know nothing about God. So the point of this is saying, look, seeing that house, forgetting the law of thy God, I will also forget that children. So just to sum this scripture up. What this is saying here, people die because they have a lack of knowledge. Your beliefs and your choices are leading you to have your brain shrunk. Your brain is shrinking because of your belief systems. So you are destroyed because of your belief system, because of your rejection of the knowledge of God, because of your re God rejecting you. You can no longer even minister his word. That thou shalt be no priest to me. That's what God said right here in Hosea 4 and 6. That thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. Since you forgot the law, you forgot to pray to God. You forgot to get on your knees. You forgot to depend on him. You forgot to seek him. You forgot to praise him. You forgot to glorify him. Then he will forget your children. That's what it said in the last part of the verse. I will also forget thy children. You know what that means? That means that your shrunk brain will also teach your kids not to make what? Wise decisions. Because they will follow up in your decisions. So this is simple. God's word is very easy to understand. Okay. And so I want to talk about now. I want to talk about how communicating with God. What communicating with God does to your brain. The communication that you have with God allows your brain. To have breakthrough. A significant amount. Of peace. That you will never experience. If you are rejecting the knowledge of God. So let's talk about this. I have a video. It's a short video. Okay. It is about five minutes long. It talks about your moral compass. And how it could be broken. And this is coming from a psychological perspective, okay? So this is actually from the uh, John Templeton Foundation. So when you think of foundations, these are the people who really like making investments into their goal objectives and their mission. 
So um, here, this video is talking about how most people would claim to know the difference between right and wrong. But how can we be sure that our moral compass is truly pointing us in the right direction? Oh, although we might believe that our own moral principles are unwavering, we typically don't apply them objectively across the actions of both loved ones and strangers those within close proximity and those far away. So when when we think about this objectivity, that means that when people are subjective, they are biased. When people are objective, they are impartial, which means that hey, you know what? I I'm not I'm not prejudiced in this situation. For instance, when it and for instance, when it when it pertains to my kids, I am biased. Don't think that I'm going to be talking bad about my kids. Because those are my kids. If I have something to talk about that's going on with me and my kids, I'm going to talk to God about it. So when it comes to my children, I'm biased. I don't even put pictures of my kids on Facebook or social media. Period. These are my children. They are private to me. So, now when it comes to my grandbaby, you know, that's a di little bit different. She is she not even one yet. So, when she get older, you're not going to be seeing no pictures of her. But my granddaughter, I put on social media, okay? But, you know, that's the point. Point of the matter is, is that when we are objective, we can do things in a way where we're not biased so what what is god working on me when it comes to my kids absolutely yes he is but when it comes to my children that's that's a private line that nobody is gonna ever break period so that's the point okay um that's the difference of understanding being subjective and objective so objective i will talk about whatever it is you want to talk about Whatever story you want to talk about. And when I speak about my children, that's me voluntarily doing it. But besides me voluntarily doing it, don't ask me no questions about my kids at all. So that's the point. I am subjective when it comes to them. And I'm objective about everything else. So um, we see that what this, what this um, video is talking about, how people are objective... They can't be objective across the actions of their loved ones and strangers. And so that's how, you know, like what I just described that I, I wouldn't be able to be objective when it comes to my loved ones, like my children and somebody I don't know. Don't ask me no questions. I don't know you. Okay. <laughs> so like when it, it, it personal testimonies, I share my testimonies all the time. So that's what this talks about. They want to talk about how that um, people are not objective in those areas. And so this sort of begs the question, what is morality and what is objective? And so to truly understand our moral compass, it is important to learn exactly how it is found north. And this is by Dr. Leanne Young, a psychology professor at Boston College. And she um, is going to explain a little bit more. Okay, so let me go ahead and get to the video. Um, and if you all have any questions, please go ahead and put them in the chat.
and I will be responding to them there, okay? So, let me go ahead and just play this video. What makes morality unique is that a lot of times people experience a moral judgment as a flash of intuition or feeling, good or bad. But underneath that feeling is complex moral psychological structure. We think that our morals are steadfast, as if they were set in stone or inscribed in ink. But it turns out our morals are far more fluid than we'd like to believe. Studying moral psychology allows us access to others' perspectives, that others could have different values. And so just knowing that there is this complex space of moral psychology could help us to understand where other people are coming from. I'm Leanne Young. I'm a psychology professor at Boston College, and in my lab, we study human moral decision-making. A key question in our lab right now is what the role of reasoning is for moral psychology. So when do people and how do people think about different principle, principles for making moral decisions? Morality might seem like a compass needle, always guiding us north. But as we start to add information and contacts that trigger biases, the needle begins to spin. Moral cognition depends hugely on context. So if I tell you about somebody who helped a stranger, you would say they're much better than the person who helped their brother. But if I told you about a person who helped the stranger instead of the brother, you wouldn't think they're very good at all. And it turned out through the research that we did, it was really people's intuitions about familial obligation that structured people's moral intuitions across all of these different cases. We may say adultery is wrong, but if it's a friend who we know well, who had a troubled marriage, maybe we're more forgiving. We say stealing is wrong, but we might be more understanding of our favorite politician when they're caught lining their pockets. We do this all the time. The point is that there are lots of different contextual influences that contributes to people's moral judgments. Morality has evolved with our species because of humans' practical and psychological need for social bonds. But even early human societies began codifying a morality into laws and norms that were meant to be applied universally. Back in evolutionary time, people didn't interact with others across the world. We interacted with the people in our family, the people that we could see. So because of that, moral psychology has developed these sorts of biases that have to do with social distance. So we think that the harm that is being done up close and personal right in front of us matters more than the harm that is being done to somebody across an ocean. So it shouldn't surprise us that the biases our minds exhibit are pragmatic. The evolutionary origin of morality is coordination or cooperation to help people get onto the same page by pointing to common normative principles that we can use to negotiate relationships, to organize interactions across many different social contexts. 
When we examine the moral judgments of others, it's tempting to think that we live in different worlds. But there's only one. The challenge today is that our social contexts are far more global and complicated. So can our sense of tribal morality evolve to encompass people outside of our tribe? And so I think learning about the psychology that drives that experience for individuals thinking about what to do and also individuals thinking about how to evaluate others is going to be a really important process for negotiating complex social interactions. I think that clarifying the value that you are consulting for a particular problem is really critical. We're all connected in some way. Between any two people in the world, there's some common value or experience. Finding that commonality could be the best path towards a more morally consistent world. Thanks for watching. I hope you liked this video. Please follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram so that we can continue to share stories about people. Okay, there we go. There you have it. Now look at that. So it talked about um, moral cognition and how there is more complex moral um compasses and how it, it basically impacts the psychology of our mind right and so intuition she talked about intuition but intuition is not you know a lot of people say well you know you it's a feeling you know this feeling no 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 it's not a just an intuition that is the holy spirit that is god talking to you and let me let me explain this to you and I'm, I'm gonna show you why okay so there are a few things that i want to talk to before i get into the actual scripture about how god impacts your brain so I, there's an article another article that is published by psychology today but before i look at that article i want to talk to you all about placebo so placebo is what every single scientists every single doctor uses and usually they they do this when they are you know doing a um a, like a human trial in some aspects right and so you have uh according to psychology today i'm gonna read exactly what psychology today lists as placebo as this is by sugar pills it was reviewed by the psychology psychology today staff um so placebo is a substance or a medical procedure that resembles an actual treatment but does not actually act on a disease or medical condition in effect it is a fake treatment offered for experimental or other reasons for some people however placebos can still have a positive or negative effect on symptoms on symptoms if only for a brief period of time it says if only so a placebo a, a placebo can pr produce um a negative uh or a positive in a person so let me explain to you what a placebo is in layman's terms because if we're going to explain things, we need to be able to explain it to a sixth grader. And if we can't explain it to a sixth grader, that means we don't understand it. So you have many doctors and scientists who are out here creating treatments and changing the way that our, our natural selection process is being developed 
and they aren't talking or communicating with people because they do not know how to explain it. So a placebo is basically a water pill. It's nothing, nothing in the pill, but they need people to participate in this trial and they don't know that they're going to be a part of a trial where you're not going to, they have a control group and then they have the actual group who they're giving the medication to. They always have this in every single experiment. So you have a control group or placebo group who are not receiving anything. And so, for instance, if you're sick and they say, okay, we're going to give you Tylenol. Tell us how you're feeling after you get the Tylenol. It's not nothing in the pill. It's nothing but just water. So they're going to examine you and see if you do good off of placebo. Why? Let me explain why. That's the number one question. So the placebo effect, it basically teaches your mind that if you believe that you're healed, then you are healed. If you believe that you feel better, then you are better. So, if scientists and doctors are doing this, what makes you think that treating yourself? Okay, so let me let me just back up. There's an article that's published by Harvard Health Publishing, Harvard Medical School, and it's called "The Power of the Placebo Effect." And basically, this article was published December thirteenth of two thousand twenty-one. And it talks about treating yourself with your mind is possible. But there is more to the placebo effect than positive thinking. So what it's saying is that if you can convince your brain that you are healed and your mind is telling your brain that you are healed, scientists have proven that people get healed from placebo effect. So let me explain this. The power of the placebo effect. Does the placebo effect mean failure or success? It says for years, a placebo was considered a sign of failure. But I'm trying to figure out how can it be a sign of failure? That means that they want you to depend on the medicine. First of all, if any scientist or doctor was extraordinary, they will be utilizing more of the placebo effect on patients. Because then you will tap into the spiritual mind in a perspective of how God impacts the mind through your beliefs. Your belief system can provide you with healing. 
So if you choose to believe that you are healed, see God already, God already said. Let, let me, let's bag up and go to the scripture because there's a, another article I want to share too. Okay. But I, I need to go back to the word of God, right? If you believe that you can say to this mountain, be thou cast and be thou, be thou, um, be thou cast and be thou thrown into the sea. Hold on a second. Let's go to Mark 11 and 23. That's what we're going now. Mark 11 and 23. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. This does not say if you believe in God. This applies to everyone that believes that this mountain will be thrown into the sea. So your belief, see, because see, I read the word of God through exegesis. And what that means is I'm looking at the word of God exactly for what it's supposed to say, not anything else, period. So you don't even, there are people that don't believe in God that get the placebo effect and still get healed. Because they believe that they receive an appeal that they're in a clinical trial and they about to get healed from the clinical trial. But they really getting water, a water pill. And they're, the, the, the study is your brain believing that you're receiving treatment. That's the study. That's the experiment. You believe that, and then the people who are actually getting the treatment, that's who is going to be analyzed too. The, the control group and then the experiment group. So which one are you? You know, so like the word of God is telling us, it, see, see, there are people in this world they believe and know that the word of God is real. The problem. The problem is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So God has put positioning me to talk about this for a second. Right. So. There are people in this world that know that the Bible and God is real. The problem is. Is that they they don't they don't feel that they have the ability to abide by it. They don't feel strong enough. How can I do this? I can't quit smoking. I definitely can't stop having sex. I don't know what she's talking about. Right? <laughs> it's like, wait. <laughs> I was just thinking like, like that not too long ago. <laughs> you know it's like well wait a minute now i've been married for some time i was 18 i've never been single in my life until now the last couple years and it feel different 
I didn't never think that I would be single. I've never been single ever. So, okay. Now, going back to this, the moment of truth is when God is saying, look, it doesn't matter about what you thought or what you could or what you couldn't do. You take it one step at a time. One step at a time. I had to take it one step at a time. That's the truth. All of these things are the truth. We take it one step at a time. So we cannot sit here and, and actually, you know, go through life and think that you can't do it. Because if you are involved in a clinical trial and you are in a control group, they, they, you are in this group, a placebo group, and you don't know. But you believe that you are being healed. You might as well go back to the Bible and open up Mark 11 and 23. Because it's people in this world that truly believe that they cannot fulfill the things that God wants them to do. And they know that the word of God is real. But the point is, is that you have to know that this is what you want. You have to know it. God wants you to have the ability to have knowledge. So the way you have, the way you, the way you're able to get through this is you have to trust in God. It all starts with the trust. So if you believe in something and you believe that this mountain would be thrown into the sea and you believe and don't doubt, it will be done exactly the way that you believe. I have faith in God. So that means that I believe in what he say. Because God reminds me, it's a constant reminder that I am, he is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. He said, well, wait, why are you thinking about that? Why are you thinking about it? What did I tell you it was going to be? So God will analyze your heart. He'll acknowledge your heart for real. He'll be like, okay, see, you need to be retrained. Like that's what, like for real, that's how God will, God will retrain you. And now I, I, I tell God, look, I don't want to take, I don't want to take a long time to learn. You know, when you think about the Jews, the um Israelites, when they were um, exiled out of Egypt, it could have, I think it was 12 days or it's between 10 to 13, 12 days or something. They could have got to the promised land in between 10 and 12 days. But instead, it took them 40 years. 40 years wandering around in the desert. It's like, wait, wait, wait. See, God, I wasted a lot of time in that 
that relationship? What was I thinking about? Like I did, I made that choice. Really? How? What was my mind? Like my brain was on top of my head. And why would I think that I was like, what was I thinking? So like, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But one thing about it, I tell God now, I say, Lord, I don't want to take a long time to learn and figure it out. God, I want to, I want to learn things right when you, right when you show me. When you show me something, God, I want to learn from it right then and there. I do not want to take like years to figure this out. Okay. Because like, no, like, I am so serious. I had somebody, I didn't like everybody want to get married now. Like, I just want to marry you. Like, no, I'll oh, no, no. Like I'm not, I just say, I'm not ready for that. You know, uh-uh, no, no. Because I know what God wants to give me. See, God already showed me. But when I pray that, God showed me right then and there so I could learn. I learned, God. I learned from a conversation. God, God has given me discernment where I learned. I watched, I watched the uh, church program. I, I be listening to some stuff. I look at a, a musical video and I'm learning who is real authentic and who really not. God's showing me stuff like, and so today I was talking to God again and he said, look, now, okay, so this is, this, I was having a con another conversation with God today about, so I was sitting there and I'm like, okay, so let me give you, I'm going to tell you this, this story that happened to me. And I know I'm always telling, like telling something that happened to me. So when I, um, when I was, uh, Basically, like a, a few years ago, I would say in 2021. Well, actually, this had begun in 2014. So in 2014, I had a surgery where I needed, I wanted to save my uterus. So I had a bunch of tumors all over my uterus. And so I had, I had this uterine artery embolization. It's, um, it's a uterine artery embolization basically where they go in and do my artery and try to stop the, the blood from circulating around my uterus because the tumors were like sucking all the blood in my uterus all around it. It was just like tumors suck the blood out of you. And so I was like really going through a lot. And so I ended up having this surgery to save my uterus because I want to help. I wanted to help seven kids. Literally, I wanted seven kids, but I only ended up having four. But I really want seven. So I did not want to like lose my uterus. And so this surgery was a very um painful surgery. It was very painful. Like this surgery, it hurt so much. I had to get blood transfusions and everything. And so it was so painful. 
And so I didn't um like the bleeding had like really stopped for like a few years. And then after that, it had started again. And so I finally had the surgery in 2021, November of 2021. And um it was so tripped out because I the surgery I had it on my ex-husband's birthday. That's that's like but that was the only day that they had and I, and I it was like I related. I'm like, "Why why is this the only day that you have on his birthday?" Like I'm I'm sitting here thinking about this like is this significant or like is God trying to show me something from this situation? So I had the the uh the hysterectomy, but it was real painful because when you love kids like the way I love kids, I really do love my kids and I really want to have more kids i always plan to have a very big family and you know for us to have everything you know and so um today literally i was talking to god about what happened during my surgery so the last surgery when they were giving me the hysterectomy in um november of 2021 the blood transfusion that they were giving me my body rejected it and so they said that I was, he said my, well, my doctor, he said I was bagging, I couldn't breathe and they had to like, you know, bring me back and stuff because of the blood. My body wouldn't take the blood. I was choking and I was gagging. I couldn't breathe. Right. And I'm like, okay, so today it, when I'm talking to, I was talking to God about, uh, I was talking about, I was talking to God about, uh, I'm trying to see what I was praying about. I'm always praying to God. But prayer is a conversation. So God said, he took me back all the way to 2021. And he said, you know, you remember when you had the surgery and, and the tramp, the blood transfusion, your body rejected it. He said, your body rejected it because your blood is like a fingerprint. Yo, yo. And, and so I, I really wasn't like, okay. So I'm like, okay, God. So like every time God teach me something, the more and more I communicate with God, the more and more he teaches me. So as I'm talking about this, so God is saying, look, the, the reason why your, your body rejected that blood was because your fingerprint is attached to the blood that's in your body. Your blood is significant. Your blood is just like similar to your fingerprint and so god gave me the reference he gave me the reference to to uh abraham i mean not to abraham to uh cain and abel and how when um god was uh when he was communicating with cain he said cain where's your thy brother and cain said am i my brother's keeper and so god said will your brother blood cry out to me and so what God was telling me today was that your blood is attached to your fingerprint. That is your mark. It's like your blood has a DNA. Your blood don't need to be changed. You don't change your DNA. God created your DNA. 
So with the technology that's out today, that's all my research is about. I talk about CRISPR technology of genetic engineering of plants, animals, and humans. And how it, it changes the genetic DNA makeup of your body. It changes it through mRNA mapping. So a RNA is basically like the map to your genome. It can go into your genome and it changes your DNA. So you have CRISPR RNA. And see, CRISPR technology is the same technology that has created the COVID vaccine. Through AstraZeneca, Pfizer, um, it was an, it's two more. Moderna. So COVID, the COVID vaccine and AstraZeneca actually has completely taken over, has been completely dominated by CRISPR technology. And so basically the point of this is, God said, look, I created your bloodline. I gave you your fingerprint. It doesn't matter about what you hear on this earth. Don't change your bloodline. So he said the reason why my body rejected it is because, see, that blood that they were trying to give me had a COVID vaccine in it. And I was like, oh, my God, Lord Jesus, that's what God is saying to me for real. It's, I could hear God clear. Because when I woke up, my doctor was like, look, you rejected that was your blood type, but your body rejected it. We almost lost you there for a minute. So let me explain something to you. You all, right? So I see it's about 935 people. I want you all to know that, you know, God really do loves us. And so when we communicate with the Lord, first of all, before I even go to come, see, I, I have to talk about all of these things because when you understand your communication with God and what it do to your body and your mind, you are going to be so peaceful. So look, now I want to talk about this other article really briefly, right? So there is an article Hold on, let me get to it. Let me get to it because I just had it pulled up. So this is the article. Um, this is not it. Where is the article? I just had it. Okay. That's not it. Hold on one second. Okay. Thought I just had the article. Hmm. Hold on. So this was a real article. I don't know what happened to it. Let's see. Um. Hold on. So this is uh placebo 
Okay. Well, this this one isn't um this one isn't the article that I wanted to talk about, but it says here. Um. Okay. So this is an article that is well. A, is this a blog? I think it's a blog. So this is a blog that's called from the um the conversation. And basically what they saying is that since the 1800s, placebo have been around, which is fake treatment. It's a sugar pill. Some, some people call it sugar pill, water pill. It's nothing in the pill, basically, okay? So that's all you need to know. And so what they're saying is that research suggests that there are very positive expectations when it comes to receiving placebo effects. And for people who receive uh, medical care under these type of um, situations. So they, it has been linked to people uh, responding positively when they are having depression, they have pain, fatigue, allergies, irritable bowel, irritable, uh, bowel syndrome, Parkinson's disease, and even osteoarthritis of the knee, including a few other conditions. So they're saying that they respond positively to these conditions. And um, they actually had a trial, a controlled trial of the arthritis of the knee that showed that there was improved abilities, including another article about a um a invasive surgery procedure basically under this meta-analysis of this other trial where it showed that the placebo responded positively for people in the control group also another article and, and so that article is published by wayne b jonas the other one is um uh kimberly o'malley a controlled trial of arthroscopic surgery for osteoarthritis of the knee the another one you have uh components of pl placebo effect randomized controlled trial in patients with irritable bowel syndrome so it talks about all of these different conditions placebo interventions for all clinical conditions by uh asborn um peter and uh peter a systematic review let me let me click on this one here and this just talks about how there are healing effects so this one is also out of the national library of medicine and um it's published by an as as jorn a-s-b-j-o-r-n um rob jartson so H-R-O-B-J-A-R-T-S-S-O-N. So placebo interventions for all clinical conditions. And so this article talks about, um, I'm trying to see if it's peer review. It doesn't say it's peer review, but it said placebo interventions are often claimed to substantially improve patient reporting and observer reported outcomes in many clinical conditions but most reports on effects of placebos are based on studies that have been that have not randomized patients to placebo or no treatment two previous versions of this review from 2001 and 2004 found that placebo interventions 
in general did not have clinically important effects, but there there were possible beneficial effects on patient reported outcomes, especially pain. Since then, several relevant trials have been published. So what we see here is that there is an improvement in a person's life. So they said on, on this particular study here, it says that there were 202 um, 202 out of 234 trials investigated 60 conditions. And it says 16 of the trials, five of which had bina uh, binary outcomes. So they had 44 studies that included 6,041 patients. And there were moderate heterogeneity, but no clear difference in effects between small and large trials. This is significant evidence. Whenever you have over 6,000 patients, even if you're saying that there is no clear difference in the trials, so what they're saying is there is really no difference in between the medicine that they're providing people and the people that get in the water pill. There is not a significant difference. There is no clear difference in the effects of between small and large trials. So that's what they're saying. So the people that are participating in these things are at relative risk of about 90 um well all all of our confidence intervals are 95 percent but it says the pooled relative risk for patient reported outcomes was about 95 uh percent and uh um observer reported outcomes 90.93 so they found no statistical significant effect of placebo interventions in four clinical conditions that have been investigated in three trials or more that include pain, nausea, smoking, depression. Um, and so there were a low risk at a, for about 158 trials had continuous outcomes. There were moderate heterogeneity. And so what that means is that there was some significance at a moderate level. So, you know, this is this is all real. And so we need to really be paying attention to this. So what God was telling me was when we think about the science, see, see, when my doctor say, well, get a blood transfusion and we sign off on these type of things, you know, th yes, the doctor is giving me a blood transfusion that he that matches my blood type. But in actuality, that's not the blood that God wanted going in my body. This is literally my blood type. So you have to understand, I have been put in a lot of different positions where like I've had like near death experiences. So my ability to, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't walk in life and I'm being afraid. I'm not afraid of nothing to nobody in the world. Because whatever happened will happen. So we, we have to understand that it don't matter where you are, who you around, what you're going through, when God has predestined you for greatness.
nobody or nothing can interfere with that. And so it, it isn't because I'm I'm not a I'm not afraid of nobody in the world because I know who the God is that I serve. So I go anywhere. Like I've been well, I love my city. I love Chicago. I go anywhere in Chicago. I go on the north side, the south side, the east side, the west side. I know people everywhere. So when I think about, you know, how some people are just limited to like a mile radius, I be like, why you can't go to the store? What you do? You can't go in the mall. Why you can't go over there in the mall? <laughs> what's, what's going on with you? You need some help. You know, that don't make no sense. You can't even go in the shopping mall. You can't even go in the grocery store. You know, like I had one of my friends a long time ago say, you need to, I lived in Inglewood. I love Inglewood. I love all the people in Inglewood. But when you think about, when you think about this, let me explain. They, they, they say Inglewood is one of the worst cities and communities to live in, in the, in the United States of America, Inglewood and Chicago, but Inglewood is a loving community. Because when you know people, they love you. You understand, like, when there's stuff going on, people know who they after. So I'm going to say that. And so the, the thing about this is that we have to all understand that God positions us for greatness. And so God's goal in our life will be fulfilled. So I'm not afraid... Because I serve a God who can do all things. So if you become my enemy, then you be going to become an enemy of God. Because I'm God's child. And if you do something or say something to me, I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to tell God about you. See, I don't call people on other people. I call God and I tell God. See, because God know how to work in your heart. See, your, your people and your family, they are the ones who want you to change immediately. But see, I know that people don't change because of other people wanting them to change. People change because God allows certain things to happen. And so God is going to get you to call upon his name. So eventually, after you everything said and done, you didn't went through all your experiences, you're gonna call and communicate with God. And so when we communicate with God, the main thing is your brain is retrained. Your brain is your processes happening in your brain. There are processes happening in your oh, he go to study. I found it right here. Your brain on God. This is a Psychology Today article that's published by uh, Dr. Bobby Azarian. Mind in the Medicine. 
And basically what this article talks about is they had taken 12 males and seven females. And they basically, um, they, they also took a, a fMRI that scans the image of their brain while they were asking them spiritual questions when they were having spiritual feelings. So while these people were having spiritual feelings, they were scanning their brain. And so what this article is saying is that as they were scanning their brain, they asked them questions like, did they, did they feel, um, did they feel the spirit? And then some people even cried during the, uh, the moment. So they, they asked them several different questions. So the, one of the questions was feeling the spirit. They asked some Mormons about feeling the spirit, right? And so, and then they asked them about how they, uh, faith make decisions based on these feelings and how the ways that they communicate with God. And so when they was asking these questions, they had to respond on a lot on the scale of ranging for them, not feeling the spirit and strongly, very strongly feeling the spirit. So it's just this one question. Are you feeling the spirit? And then that the, the image of their brain was scanned. And what it showed, it showed that the brain images revealed that religious and spiritual experience consistently activates electrical brain patterns in multiple regions, including the nucleus accumbens, which is the central part of the brain's reward and reinforcement center. It also has the activation of the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. This was also observed. So the prefrontal cortex, a brain area involved in many complex functions that includes what? Your decision making and your emotion regulation. So they scan in your brain when you are having these moments of some of these people was crying and their brain was getting scanned when they're asking them, are you feeling the spirit? Are you feeling the spirit? And guess what? Your ability to feel the spirit of God gives you the ability to what? Recognize that there is some spiritual going on. So although Mormons Mormons is a a, a, a a radical group that believes in John Smith or Joseph Smith, something like that. I read the Mormons book before. They talk about how Joseph Smith heard the angel talk to him. And so the angel came and the, he didn't understand the voice of the angel. So the angel was talking to him several times, two or three times before he understood what the angel was saying. But I'm not going to get into the Mormons. All I want to say specifically, specifically is that when you are having a spiritual connection, your mind, your brain is being impacted. So when you are communicating with God, guess what? Your brain is no longer shrinking, baby. 
Ha! These are the aha moments. That's called an aha moment. I don't know. I call it an aha moment. You'll be like, yeah, or the a moment. Whatever moment you want to call it, okay? I'm calling aha moments. It's the aha moments for me. So the brain no longer shrinks. The brain is activating patterns of electrical brain patterns that is actually impacting the ventromedial prefrontal cortex that allows your brain to function and have better decision making and emotion regulation where's your emotion regulated from your hippocampus so your amygdala talks to the hypothalamus your hypothalamus sends a signal to the rest of your body, releases cortisol. And then your body also experiences what? These e different emotions through your hippocampus. So having this spiritual interaction activates positive brain activity and function within your brain. So communicate more with God today, okay? I'm at the two-hour mark. I will see you all on Thursday. Okay. So Thursday, I will talk to you all. And um, please, please, please. Uh, if you have a prayer request, send that to Laws Life Help at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. So let me just go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to receive your word today. We ask that you just please, God, allow us to communicate more with you. Allow your children to talk to you more, God, because it activates parts of our brain that we need to make good decisions. And we want to make good decisions, God. So the, 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 the decision to speak to you allows us to have electrical brain patterns that's activated in our brain to improve our prefrontal cortex. And so, God, all of these terms is really meaningless to you. But they mean so much to the people in this world. And so, God, we just ask that you please show them and help everybody, everybody in this world, shaking and awaken us all, including me. God, shaking and awaken us and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we ask that you please supply our needs according to your riches and glory. But allow us to communicate with you. Soften the hearts of your children, including the ones that are lost but are destined for your holy nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is.